Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. Hey, listener, Zach Harper here, Underdog Fantasy the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other, and whoever has more points points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do. That is your rival's pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson scoring tear going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years. Here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick first-time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first-time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org, Arizona 1-800-NEXT-STEP, that's 1-800-639-8783, or text Next Step to 53342. New York, call the 24-7 Hope Line at 1-877-8-HOPE-NY, or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Welcome, 
ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your host, Big Waz, as always, alongside my brother and co-host, compadre, out in Santa Monica, California, my man Nando Vila. What's good, brother? What's up, baby? How's it going? I'm good. I can't complain, man. Uh, Michael Brooks, he's on vacation right now. Much yeah. earned, man. This guy is the hardest working man in Seriously. independent liberal media. Much Whoa, earned. Vac- don't call him liberal. Don't insult him like that. Oh, yeah, he's independent leftist media. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That'd be like if somebody you called me him. woke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, anyway, Mike is on vacation. He'll be back next week, fresh as always. On today's show, Thandie Newton gave one of my favorite interviews um, in media in the last, I I can't even tell you, and I just think it speaks of the moment. Thandie Newton gave Vulture Mag, Vulture, I don't know if it was New York Mag or Vulture, you know, the whole New York Mag conglomerate. Yeah. Um, She gave them an interview that I just thought was fascinating. She touched on so many themes. Um, Me and Nando just going to get into that. Deshaun Jackson, Steven Jackson. um, No relation. Yeah, no relation. (laughs) Caused a bit of a shitstorm very recently with comments and then doubling down on the comments. Uh, you know, I think it speaks to the moment that we're in where we want to thrust these guys into positions of leadership and activism. It's like, we want players to do this and that and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, man, these guys' life skills and training hasn't been geared towards becoming the next Kwame Ture. And so a lot of times it's going to show. Yeah, it's going to show. And I think very and I think what you're seeing with Steven Jackson and Deshaun Jackson is showing um, we're going to talk about the limitations of cancel culture, the limitations of, you know, celebrity cult worship. And even when you extend that to athletes, we're going to get into that. But first, man, white fragility. Yeah, is is in the crosshairs very recently. The book, um, the author, the movement that it has spawned within, you know, corporate culture around America. Uh, it's kind of crazy, Nando. Like the book comes out. It's a huge hit. New York Times bestseller. Mm-hmm. All the usual suspects are touting it because it's a way to talk about the problems of race and class and all the divisions that we have in America in a way that essentially it offers so many lifeboats for so many of the participants that you can see how it becomes this seductive thing for the corporate class of this country, the capitalist class. It's like, shit, man, we could, we could just do this. Yeah. You know, hire a freaking white fragility consultant and fix all of our problems in a snap. Like they love nothing more than to toss a little bit of money at a problem, completely absolve themselves and move on from any future litigation. Well, that's the key. They don't care about the problem. They care about protecting themselves from future litigation. Of course. That's always that's always job number one. But I want to slow down for the listeners who might not have bought the book. (laughs) Might not have, you know, um, noticed the sort of groundswell of support for the movement around white fragility. And because, Nando, like I was talking to you, I was like a sort of micro industry and economy has evolved out of this entire movement. 
And Nando's like, that shit ain't so micro. It's $8 billion, billion with a B, yeah, um, yeah. as far as an industry and a grift that has grown out of this whole thing. And so, Nando, could you set the stage for the people yeah. about the book, the author, yeah. and how this shit caught like wildfire? So White Fragility was written by a woman named Robin D'Angelo, and it's important to note that she's white, you know, just to put that out there. She is a white lady. And she is something called a diversity consultant. And this is, like, as you said, like a cottage industry that has emerged in recent years that companies say, you know, Amazon will hire Robin D'Angelo to come in and do these training seminars where she basically trains people on how to be less racist, right? And as you said, this is not as such a small industry. It's an $8 billion industry. And it's important to know that it's not because these companies care about racism or actually want to solve the problem. It's just a relatively cheap way to protect yourself from future litigation from any race-based discrimination lawsuit that you might face in the future. So for example, like, you know, if something horribly racist happened at your company and someone got fired, you know, because they were black and then they came around and sued them in the court of law, they could present the case that like, well, we hired the, the diversity consultant and they came into the thing. Like we took steps. Like this was like, a this was beyond the scope of what we yeah. could have reasonably been expected exactly. to understand and know. Exactly. So white fragility, as you said, when it came out a few months ago was a New York times bestseller, but since the George Floyd protests erupted in this country, it has become like an absolute phenomenon. It is the number one on Amazon. It was just, you know, tons and tons of copies were sold. And what you saw was a ton of, I, I got to say, the vast majority of them well-meaning white liberals who are like, you know, genuinely horrified by what's going on and genuinely horrified by the presence of racism in this country and videos like the George Floyd murder and, and all the other ones that have come out that they're generally horrified. And they're like, I want to do something. I want to, like, I feel that I am complicit in this system, that uh, this is what I'm told, that I'm complicit in this system. And I want to do my part to not be complicit in that system anymore. And white fragility came in on a platter as like sort of instruction <laughs> manual on how to behave so that you are I wanna, I wanna get into that because I want to talk about the tenets of that 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 basically white fragility espouses is essentially this idea that <laughs> As a white person, you have to constantly be fighting against this disease this, that's this taking disease, over your body, body, this racial yeah. nature that you have. And so long as you're doing the work of constantly working on yourself. Yeah, it would be like what, what white fragility preaches is like was like you and I are friends, right? Like right. We, if we went out to like have some drinks at the bar. What I have to do as a white presenting person is be like, you know, was uh, I just want to check in with you for a second. Like, do you feel a racism happening to you? Like in the bar right now? Like, do you feel okay? <laughs> you know, like, uh, and like just constantly checking like whether, hey, you know, hey, did, 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 did me saying I didn't like 50 cents fifth album uh, did, was that like a racism? Did you did you perceive that as me being racially biased or you know what I mean? Like that's what they propose. Like it's constant racializing of every inter human interaction, which is not the way normal people normal humans interact. And, and nor should they. Like you right. know, we want to talk. We want to shoot the shit about whatever basketball, right, right, whatever. Right, right. You know, like right. Um, but but it's because there is no sense of 
power and no sense that we have any power to change any of these deep inequities that exist in our society. The only thing we can do is this sort of self-flagellation, this sort of um, inner work of like excising racism from our body as if it were like some disease. And like, that's just, it's just fundamentally going to be a disastrous program, and especially if it's taken over by HR departments, which is what it is mm. becoming. They are HRifying systemic racism. And mm. HR is something that's very important for people to understand because it is one of the most insidious forces in American society today. Yes, HR has been has been what has replaced labor unions in this country. And whereas mm. labor unions as crusty, problematic as they can be, at the end of the day, work for you, the yep. worker. HR department does not. Does not. They claim to care about your interests. It's they sell exactly you on that with slick packages. It's the opposite. They work for management. They work they, for the boss. They collect the information for management to be like, that cat right there is a problem. And here's why. And here's what we're going to do to get them the fuck out of here. That's how HR operates at pretty much 98% of our jobs. That's just period. Um, and I can tell you for a fact, um, you know, back when I was a, a, a part-timer at UPS, a, a Teamster, um, you know, if I had a pro if I really had a problem with my soup, I literally just go tell my shop steward and he would go ream this motherfucker out. Yeah. Like straight up and down. And I'm writing you up. I'm filing a formal complaint. I better not hear about this shit again. Like your shop steward would literally go in there and rip somebody's head off. Could you imagine an HR rep doing that on behalf of some, you know, sales associate or no. project manager no. um, or, um, against some huge manager or supervisor? Like, that would just never, ever, ever happen. Nope. Unless there was a meaningful threat of a lawsuit. Right. Again, it's right. to protect the company mm. from you know, any sort of liability in, in any of this. So again, it's, it's, it, it speaks to a broader conversation that needs to be had around, you know, racism and this concept of privilege, right? Which is that obviously white privilege is a thing that exists. The question becomes like, try telling that to like some shitty poor white person who lives that's, in whatever the fuck the that they're privileged. Right. It, it's, it's, they're going to look at you like my life sucks, you know, like <laughs> what my are fucking you brother died about? of Oxycontin uh, overdose. And you know, like I got laid off and I, there's no work. Like my life is fucking shitty. And there was a study that just came out from the people's policy project, um, that, sort of talked about, broke down the racial wealth gap, which is like basically nine to one if you look at it overall. But if you just remove the 10% of high earning black people and the 10% of high earning white people, that accounts for like 90% of the, of the racial wealth gap. Basically what it means is that there's like a really small sliver of white people who have an insane amount of wealth, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, you know, there's a bunch of poor people. If you just take like, if you just picked like a random white person in America, America, chances are their life is shitty and they're relatively poor and you know like Facts. so try telling them that they're that they're privileged it's, it's, it's right. just going to be disastrous and that's why they turn to like 
they go online and then they search the thing. And then someone says like, no, you're awesome because you're white. Like you're actually the Supreme race. And you know, like if we all got right. together, we have that's, more numbers. That's, you that's know? Like, the spirit. And, that's more like what I was thinking. Cause yeah. the privilege thing wasn't making sense. Well, but. It's like one of them is like telling you, you, you're congenitally racist. You have this disease that you're born with. And the other one's telling you that you're awesome. You know, like don't fucking worry right. about it. And it's like, right. obviously some well-meaning people are going to, do the thing and check their privilege and all that crap. And then, but a huge other chunk of people are going to be like, fuck you guys. I'm going to go with these people who think I'm cool. You know? And, 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 and that's why, and I like for us to be consistent on the show, Nando, because yeah. I think it's really important that people understand the message that we're trying to espouse when people be like, Oh, you're in the tank for Bernie. You're in the tank for Bernie. You're blah, blah, blah. I'm like, look, it's not that I'm in the tank for Bernie. It's just fundamentally, I think he's yelling at the right people. Essentially. It's not about privileged people who live in rural Missouri. It's about those rich cocksuckers who have all the money. Like, it's about them. It's about them. It's about them. It's always been about them. And that message has a a lot better chance of resonating with somebody who ain't got shit. Okay, and yes, they happen to be white. Yes, they probably think, you know, somebody like me might rob them if I walk through their neighborhood. Cool. Ultimately, that shit don't matter. It doesn't not as much as, you know, how much money Jeff Bezos is allowed to make. And how he's able to treat his workers, right? How he's able to treat his workers like that stuff matters. And I and I truly and some people say, oh, the class argument will never work. Blah, 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 blah. Race is so insidious, blah, blah, blah. And and I think that's the argument that we will continue to have on whatever you want to call the people who like Democrats, the left, liberals, whatever. It's the argument that we're going to continue to have going forward. But I think that's why. I don't share the views of the white fragility crowd. The, if only white people were just a little bit nicer to us, our lives would be... It's like, bro, I wake up every single day as a black dude, right? Um, I've been followed in the mall my whole life, all of this shit. I'm doing just fine. I promise you, motherfuckers. I (laughs) promise you. You know what makes me feel good, man? Having some money in the bank. Yeah. Having some type of job security. Yeah. That shit makes me feel amazing. I don't need a sleeping couch every time some black person, I mean, excuse me, some white person refers to us, re- might refer to some group of minorities as colored people. I yeah. don't get, I mean, not to say that they should be doing that. Not right. to say that it's not, cor- it shouldn't be corrected or it's, you know, I- incorrectable behavior. I'm not to say all of that doesn't matter, but there's just a fixation on those things. That I think is just ridiculous. Well, there's a fixation on those things because there's this feeling that you can have power over those things. Whereas you can't have right. power over the main, like we can't have Medicare for all. We can't have a more right. equitably economic exactly. system. So when you feel powerless in that realm, you start to focus on other things, right? Whereas like if we, this, I mean, this, and this is something that the civil rights uh, leaders from the 1960s understood very, very well, was that there is like black people at the end of the day are 13% of the U.S. population. They're nowhere near a majority. They will never be a majority. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. So, like, the only way to emancipate black people in this country is if they build a broad Broad coalition, coalition, multiracial. And the way to do that is to tell 
poor white people whose life is shitty is that our lot is tied together. They're trying to, those bad people that you're talking about, those bad people that, you know, that have all the money and all that thing, they're interested in dividing us. We have to make alliances to take on those people. They have everything. We got nothing, you know? Exactly. And if we all did that, if we all banded together and we tied this project into a self-interest for them, right? Like your life will be better. Your life, Big Waz, will be better. My life will be better. Producer Rob's life will be better. Some white fucking, you know, toothless redneck in whatever the fuck. He's <laughs> right. like better too. Yes. You know? like, and, 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 and just because he he might be racist, just because he might yeah. think well, Cam might, Newton is, yeah, is a dick. Might, yeah. So he, what? Who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he might think that, uh, you know, that uh, it, it's horrible that, uh, um, you know, there was a black character, a black stormtrooper in Star Wars. You might think right. it's the worst thing that's right. ever happened. Right. You know, right. like. Who gives a fuck? He's got right. no power. He's got literally no right. power. You know, right. like that's just right. That's and, what I think is hard for people to understand. Um, because I think, and I think a lot of people view that hypothetical white boogeyman out in the middle of the country, even though they live on the coast too. Yeah. Hell, they live in Brooklyn, New York too. Oh, yeah. Um, just uh, they, they 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 like to think that those people. There's a lack of empathy. There's like, you're not accessing your white privilege and that's your own fault. <laughs> like, you got no excuse, chief. So yeah. I have no time for you. Like, you could have been whatever the fuck you wanted to be, white man, white woman, whatever. Like, you had that. I ain't have none of those advantages. I don't have time for you. Um, And, and, and to a certain extent, I get that sentiment, but it ignores just the realities of capitalism, bro. Yeah. Like, it, like, yo, if you were born in a certain position in this country, you know, very poor, like, even if you are white, it's going to be very very hard for you to end up on wall street yeah. working at goldman with this great job like it's just probably yeah. not going to happen to you some people might think oh they got a way better chance than you know was they growing up where he did i think you're overestimating all of that and i think that's what people get way too caught up on in in yeah. That's why I just reject the, the safe space stuff, the microaggression stuff, the, yeah. the, the whole, you know, the, all of the culture wars, the campus culture wars stuff. It's just like, yo, I, I get it. 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 And, and, and so many of us are in tune with our feelings. And I get it because there's a culture around here in this country where the thing to do was completely bury your feelings and not give a damn about it. And this this faux, um, you know, machismo sort of testosterone driven way of thinking how you should be. And, and that feelings are for idiots and pussies or sissies or whatever. I reject all of those things. But I think, you know, the other freaking direction of just feelings are everything yeah. is just ridiculous. Well, Mike, Mike, <laughs> Mike Brooks sent us a, an article in the group chat like two days ago or whatever. And it's in the subcult. It said the cult dynamics of wokeness and the subhead captured the contradictions of white fragility and that strain of thought perfectly. It said the subhead said, quote, you must understand racism and admit also that you cannot understand racism. 
right? Like if you're a white person, you, you have that contradiction, right? right? You have to like right. understand like all that the intricacies of like, but you also as a white person cannot fully understand racism because you've never experienced it. Then you must also admit your complicity in racism and pledge to do better knowing that it is impossible to do better, <laughs> right? Like you, <laughs> no matter what you do, you're always going to like fall short, but you also have to pledge to keep doing better. And then you must be an ally, but accept that you will always do your allyship wrong, right? And that's like, you know, like you see all these posts on Instagram that go viral. It's like, you know, like if you're an ally, you got to do this, this and that and that and that and that. And it's like, you're trying to like give people an instruction manual, just how to be a normal person in a way, you know, like, and at the end of the day, like just go out and talk to people. I don't know, like go out and just be a normal human being with yeah. people around you. And like, you know, people will say things that are like uncomfortable, or whatever, and annoying or wrong or whatever. But like, there is no instruction manual that you could read and then be like, Oh my God, I got it. I got it. You know, like, right. Right. It's just never going to happen. And if it's Opening in the hands of the humanity, bosses, people are so scared of people. That's the, that's the grand, like people are scared of people. Yeah. Like people are just so scared. Well, because we're all online people. all day. Right. It's, and it's like, and it's like, man, you know, we're I don't completely come across alienated. that person in the wild. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, way um don't re- read white fragility no be very skeptical of anybody who brings it up as some type of bible um and please HR is not your friend and hr is not your friend and, and please understand that like you know we try to be consistent on here but i feel like our job is to sort of explain our positions and make people think about why we might hold some of those positions and beyond that you know everybody's on their own anyway um next thing up Nando, Deshaun Jackson, and and I'm going to just try to break this down for you as quickly as I can. Deshaun Jackson, wide receiver for the Philadelphia, I was about to say 76ers, Philadelphia (laughs) Eagles. E-A-G-L-E-Y, Eagles! Oh, God, I hated that freaking... If you've ever... Just as a quick aside, I once... I never used to have an opinion about the Eagles because... I was a Jets fan. They weren't in my division and kind of the enemy of my enemy, which is the New York Giants, is kind of my friend. And yeah. I always was sort of ambivalent, like indifferent about the Eagles. Then I lived in Pennsylvania amongst Eagles fans for two years and they became my sworn mortal enemies. I just <laughs> hated them. And like when you live in central Pennsylvania, you get both. You get the yeah. Eagles and the Steelers fans. And for a long time, and it's so funny, like, Steelers fans are better the, or worse? Way better. Oh. And, and and it's funny because I think about the dynamics of New York Mets and Yankees fans, where Yankee fans have more prestige, all of that stuff, and are the most obnoxious people <laughs> on planet. Like, it doesn't even compute. Whereas Steelers fans were these, like, regal, sort of classy, sort of like, we have tradition, we love our team. We've we're had not three dis- coaches in our history. Right, right. Like, we're not down in the mud and disgusting like these yeah. Eagles fans, and it drove Eagles fans crazy, who had no no um, Super Bowls until very recently. And it was just like, I was just like, wow, Yankee fans are so much more obnoxious than Steelers fans, and it's like, whatever. Anyway, yeah. Um, Deshaun Jackson puts, and again, it speaks to this sort of woke moment that we're experiencing, right? So Deshaun Jackson, nobody's public intellectual. He's no. nobody's <laughs> David West or Colin Kaepernick or 
any of John or Amici. like I think of right John Amici or um I think of Jalen Brown on the Celtics. He is nobody. Dante Stallworth. Right, Dante. Oh my God, Dante Stallworth is yeah. a freaking revelation. Yeah. He's nobody's version of that. He decides to get up on his Twitter and, and and share a passage from a book. And, you know, I like to share this because I love Bo. Bo is so good at coming up with these. But he's like, you know, um, it's one of those books that ain't got no barcode. <laughs> like, essentially, like one of these joints that you're not going to find at the Barnes and Nobles for a reason. <laughs> As a okay? Bomani Jones line. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. One of these books that ain't got no barcode on them. Um, and so... <laughs> The passage, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't want it's. It's essentially, it's a misquote of a Farrakhan line, but the quote in this book is attributed to Hitler, okay. and the quote essentially says that American Jews, um, white American Jews, are taking part in a conspiracy to keep secret that the black man is actually, you know, um, descended from King Solomon and David and, and, and actually the true Israelites, God's true chosen people. And they're holding on to this secret because they know if the black man ever wakes up and realizes who he is, you know, it's just the structures and the strictures of America are just going to come crashing down, essentially. Yeah. This is a very famous, obviously bigoted, anti-Semitic, Farrakhan quote that is falsely attributed to Adolf Hitler in this book that Deshaun Jackson decided to share the passage on his Instagram underlined and highlighted of those words right um of course a shit storm arises rightfully so people condemn him rightfully so Stephen Jackson of course who's recently become anointed as one of the great activists of our time because he was friends with George Floyd and was deeply moved by it and went out and um you know, march with the people. And again, and I don't want to get into an aside, but people will know my track record on this. Stop looking to celebrities to be these great leaders, specifically yeah. athletes. Don't expect these cats to be great activists. Don't expect these cats to have a fully formed voice. Don't expect these cats to yeah. be, you know, motherfucking, you know, Fred Hampton. I'm sorry, dude. Like, these dudes don't come from that tradition. In fact, they're highly specialized people. And when they were in school, school wasn't the point. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and you know, the funny thing is Deshaun Jackson went to fucking Berkeley for three years. Like, could you imagine? Yeah. Like, just think about, just put that through your fucking yeah, skull yeah, yeah, real yeah, quick. Yeah. Like, this man I spent three years at, yeah, at yeah. Cal Berkeley. Yeah. He Ooh. must have experienced some, yeah. He was, I can just, lots to unpack there. Lord have mercy. Anyway, so this whole shit storm arises and I got into it with people last night where it's like, he couldn't figure out that you should never quote Hitler. Oh, he's an idiot and all of that. And it becomes this thing where it's like, it's easy for a certain person who feels like they are spiritually awakened to just dismiss Deshaun Jackson. Because again, as I continually say on this show, a lot of people just are out of touch with normal people, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people read that passage and they think to themselves, how could somebody want to quote Hitler? And I'm like, y'all, the, the thing that he was trying to, to share with y'all was this idea that the black, the black people are not this 
you know, descendant of enslaved people, people living in squalor, people living in, you know, these oppressed people, these weak people, these people that are seen as lazy, bums, stupid, only good for athletics. No, actually, what he's being drawn to is the opposite of that, that the black man is descended from God. Okay, that the black man is actually the almighty creator's chosen people, not these desolate people that we've been led to believe that we are. That's the message that he's being drawn to. Like, y'all want to latch on to the Hitler part, which obviously, that's that's so obviously ridiculous and stupid. Obviously, that's dumb. But you're not getting what he's drawn to. That's what these woke people don't want to understand. Like, what you, like, what he's being drawn to is the same shit that yeah. you actually are drawn to. This idea that like my people are smart, my people um are filled with love, my people are ambitious, my people are this, but he's getting it from one of the worst sources. And so, you know, the yeah. problem with wokeness as it exists right now is that it doesn't un- it doesn't take into account somebody like Stephen Jackson. I mean, excuse me, Deshaun Jackson or Stephen Jackson for that matter. Like these cats have grown up in such a way, have their lives have unfolded in such a way. They're not going to know. They're not going to want to talk to you when you bring up a term like massage noir. <laughs> like, like my, my dude, like, no, you got to talk about, you got to meet these people where they live. If in fact you want them to be a part of what we're trying to achieve, if that's what you ultimately want, you need to meet them where they live. And so I don't know. I guess what I'm just saying is, is like the, the question of whether these comments should be condemned. That's a ridiculous question. It's not a question. It's yeah. implicit. It's obvious. Yeah. You need to come down on him for that and, and explain to him why. But the other part of it that people don't want to deal with, they never want to deal with, you know, academic types, basically elitists. I, I, I don't know what yeah. to tell you. You motherfuckers are elitists. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I know a lot of y'all don't want to think of yourselves this way, but your elitist is how does he get to that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, the, well, what's the road that he charted? Go ahead, Nando. Well, sorry. There, there, no, the interesting thing is also that this is kind of uh, a flip side of, of what we were just talking about, the liberal ideology of, of around white, something like white fragility. What what has emerged in, in liberal culture is, is this it's almost like the 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 trope of like the magical negro you know that like because uh, you know a black man is so uniquely oppressed in this country that they that they have like these sort of magical powers, powers. of understanding and awareness and it's like you know like the whole like listen to black women type of thing you know like oh, as God. they have, like you know Don't which get like me started. Well, yeah but it's 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 like this it's this um it's this kind of guilt projection that white people have where they sort of create this idealized version of a like a black person when in reality, like black people are like, are like anyone else. And that there's some people who are smart, some people who are dumb, some people who have bigoted views, some people who, you know, like some people who have great views. I don't know. Like there's, there's all kinds of people, there's all kinds of black people out there, you know? So like there's, there's almost like this feeling when Deshaun Jackson does something like this, it's like that he's betraying that, that kind of 
right image that a white liberal oh, has created in their mind right, of a black man right, right. you know which is like which is like this and this whole conversation that you were that you were just talking about made me think of you know the nba which is run by white people um has done this thing right where they're allowing the players to put like a political message on their they back they came up with this idea because at the time there was this conversation out there that going out and playing would be a distraction so it's like no we're not gonna we're gonna keep the thing going and here's how we're gonna do it <laughs> but it's what I'm saying is like they in their in their kind of white liberal mind they've kind of done a, like a weird opposite thing of like black people are lazy dumb and stupid is that they're black people are magical and they're all politically enlightened people and they're all and I'm like I just can't wait for the first guy you know the first like NBA player to put like Jews did 9/11 on the back of his jersey right, or right, like right, 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 <laughs> there was right, one guy right, who right. was like talking about right. like you know like the national debt is going to bankrupt yes, us all yes, or yes, something that was you know Spencer like Dinwiddie. he wanted to talk about the national debt <laughs> Because he thinks the national debt works like a payday loan. Right, exactly. Idiot. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the point. Is like, you know, there's what, hundreds of players in the NBA. They're going to have right. all kinds of, like, insane political views, you know? Like, right. to, to, to this, like, it's essentializing the black struggle or, like, the, the struggle of black men in this country to, to then create this kind of idealized version of him. And, I, you know, that, that's, just, that's just been done in the liberal culture that we live in. You know, which is which has betrayed the the sort of old school, crusty, and frankly, I think inspiring uh, messages of like we're all in this together, human solidarity. Like we're all kind of part of the same project. If we just all banded together, we would be able to change the world and take on the forces of of, of you know th- that are that are oppressing us, which are again those four you know people. And, that and what we- I need people to continue to understand. Um, I'm, I was I was watching Adolf Reed on the Rolling Stones joint with Matt Taibbi, right? And he's talking about a racist is somebody who believes in the existence of races. Meaning, like, you think that amongst human beings, there are these actual distinctions among us. Yeah. And, like, I feel like even liberals, even black people, lose sense of, bro, blackness as a as a you know we know that it's a social construct is literally just describing a sort of shared experience yeah a shared culture a shared um life right like it's just loosely describing something that me and brooklyn and as far as compton have shared in our experience there's something that links us in how we grew up what we grew up around that Mm -hmm. is shared that is linked by this concept of blackness that was put on us because of the way our skin looks that's it yeah it's not describing some way that we think or you know mental health that like mental health issues that are you know that afflict us because we share this skin like genetically predisposed to and blah 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 you know like people need to understand when you talk about like high blood pressure in the black community it's literally talking about the foods that we tend to eat over and over and over and over growing up it's not like genetically yeah our hearts are prone to give out because of high blood no it's it's about a shared experience meaning People of this skin color tend to grow up in this environment, tend to have this, tend to tend to live under these factors that allow for that. And I think I'm not a scientist. The big one being poverty. Right. Exactly. The big one being poverty. Like this is what we're talking about when you're talking about black people. You're just talking 
loosely about a shared experience. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's all you're talking about. And so, you know, cause I, cause we, we don't have much time and I do want to get on to Thandy Newton. I want to just explain to people when you talk about something like the nation of Islam, when you talk about, um, the 5% of nation of gods and earths, when you talk about black Israelites and sort of the iconography and the tenets that come out of that are basically an overcorrection mm. for mammies and minstrels. It's an overcorrection. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not using the word over. I'm using that word on purpose. This yeah, yeah. Black men, black people were kings and queens in Africa. Yeah, it's, it's an like, overcorrection for the bullshit that we got here. Right. And so if you cannot understand, if you can't understand why Deshaun Jackson might, for whatever reason, be attracted to that, even if it potentially came out of the mouth of the most vile and evil person of the last 200 years, Adolf Hitler. I don't know what to tell you. I yeah. don't know what to tell you if you can't also, get that. We talked about it in the pre-show, but like, also, like, who cares? And just one more thing on that, Nando, because I do want back. people to understand this. Like, these same people who say this, like, you're related to and love people who think that some guy named Jesus walked on water. <laughs> this is something I love about Levitard. Levitard always talks about, like, we're just waiting for the one guy to say the thing. And once he says a thing, we love to, like, and it's just like, we can ignore the guy who said the thing. Like, That's... if I, you know, if Deshaun Jackson had posted that and no one said anything, like, no one's life would be different. No one would care. He didn't actually, like, really, like, offend any, you know, no one really cares what Deshaun Jackson thinks, fundamentally speaking. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's just like, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Like, who cares? Who you cares? Know? And just, you know, I would just ask you guys to exercise some humility and think about some of the things that people that you love think and we can just move on from that now Thandie Newton gave an incredible interview to um Vulture New York Mag it's it's in the it's in like it's printed in New York Mag New York Mag um by E. Alex Jung fantastic freaking interview E. Alex Jung I don't know who you are but you put on an extraordinary interview and you know I wanted to talk about it Nando because this like we we are at a point where this lady is just straight up willing to go on the record about powerful people and the dumb shit that they've done um and the system that allows for it to happen mm-hmm. and she talks about like the fucking I don't know I found it to just be so humanizing the journey that you go through yeah. when you start in this profession at 16 and you don't know shit about shit and you're just going from there to there to there to there. You're getting taken advantage of. You're being sexually assaulted. You're being this. You're, um, you're hearing a bunch of racist shit. And she just, she just put this shit so plainly and so clearly. And yeah. she talked about her own journey. I just think it's, it's just crazy the moment that we're in, man. Some of the things... Um, Just a quote. She said, (laughs) she said, he's an individual. She said, that's an individual. It's a system. That's why I don't particularly like talking about the individual because it makes that person more special. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she was talking about like the history, her history in Hollywood, long career, um, 
you know, her experience with sexual abuse and uh, racism and, and all that stuff. And like, you know, Hollywood is a particular cesspool, especially for sexual abuse. I mean, you have tons of young, very, very good looking people who are at the mercy of very, very powerful rich people. I mean, that's just the, the, the bottom line, right? There's producers and studio execs who have hold a huge amount of power over your future and you are young and you're beautiful and you have that, you know what I mean? And it's like, well, if I can give you some of that, if you give me some of that, you know what I mean? Like that, that implicit kind of thing exists in Hollywood tremendously. And, and Danny Newton kind of was getting at those structural imbalances, right? Um, and, 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 and getting them, getting at them in a very raw way. Right. And she can speak about this now. And she talks about this because she actually has actual power within the industry. 30 right? years later. Exactly. Like she couldn't, she couldn't talk about this when she was 20 because she'd no. never work again. And right. You know, now she has actual power. And I think that that's what I always try to tell people to look through these lenses of power rather than culture war, you know, and like look at the inequities of power. And then that's if you reduce those, then you will solve so many of the problems that exist with homophobia, racism, sexism, all the things we hate. Right. If you if you try to solve those problems without reducing the power imbalances, Mm. you're just going to you're just going to drive yourself crazy. You're not going to actually fix the problem. You're going to turn a lot of people against you. I, I don't know. Like there's like a million problems. Problems with it, and I think that some, in, on some level, she was getting at that, right? And she was just getting, and, and, and she's understanding her own power right now, yep. and um, and that's why she can speak so powerfully, and so, and, and and that's why she can speak at all, right? You know, like she's not worried about never working again. She's gonna work again. I mean, she's. Yeah. You know, she's established herself so firmly and is and has achieved such cultural uh, cachet that she's going to work again. But. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was very raw, very emotional. Recommend people read it for sure. Dude, the, the, the so many of these things fascinated me. Um, her implying that Spike Lee never fucked with her just because she played Sally Hemings, and he was like, yeah. "That's some coon shit. I can't get with it." <laughs> I'm just like, "Yo, Crazy. this guy is Spike Lee," but it just speaks to like. So many complicated, like, when people think of black people as this monolith, it's like, uh, no, yeah. dude, like, there's so many complicated things that are happening within the the community, or not even the community, but amongst us, you know, yeah. and I just, I just found that to be hilarious because it's so yeah. stereotypical was, of what yeah. we think of Spike, yeah. and just like, he's never approached me to work, he doesn't talk to me, like, I won't put words in his mouth, but I kind of know what time it is. Um, <laughs> the, uh, when she talks about the part in Crash, where she didn't want to portray this white cop raping a black woman, because she was like, Heavens no, the cops wouldn't do that. (laughs) And then she's like, well, now I'm like, you know, on the board of some committee that's like exposing police rapes and all of this shit. Like, but at the time, I thought Paul Haggis was out of his fucking gourd for wanting to portray that on film. I thought that was, that is hilarious to me and then my favorite my favorite my favorite part and i know you would like british right you know like the cops there behave very differently than the cops here exactly my favorite part and i know you gonna like this one nando is um the coats bit (laughs) oh yeah he he panned the movie in in um in the atlantic and she said maybe that's why he's never responded to me on twitter (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. as if tada hasi coach like wasn't aware that Teddy newton is tweeting at him you know what i mean uh yeah no that part was that part was hilarious i mean and and and, you know i mean we have our criticisms of coats and all that stuff and and crash definitely is a is a uh 
uh, kind of a cringy movie to watch in retrospect, um, in many ways, but, but yeah, that, that part was really funny. I mean, and, and the part where she talked about Tom Cruise in mission impossible too, um, was really funny. You know, like she, she, you know, he just comes off as like this, you know, what you would think like this very driven, very ambitious, very kind of, um, you know, he's famous for doing all his own stunts. Like he puts a lot of the pressure on himself to make all this stuff. And Mission Impossible is like his he's franchise psycho. that he right. willed to willed to being, you know, like and and he just came off as this kind of this very demanding, very insane person. But you know, she she was able to recognize that he didn't mean he didn't mean to like cause her harm, right? right? Which I thought was like very big of her in some ways. Like he, you know, like he, she recognized both that he was very annoying and it didn't necessarily work to get the best performance out of her. But, but she was also recognizing where he was coming from, which is like something that nobody grants these days uh, in in our world. Like everyone just assumes right. very bad faith. Everyone assumes like the worst intentions of people rather than you know like she was like she's actually assuming the best of him which is which i thought was kind of nice anyway go out and read that in in um new york mag uh that it was it's just a really raw human thing and i was deeply moved by it so go out go ahead and check that out um i've stopped watching westworld after season one because i was just like this just shit i stopped watching after like five episodes i didn't like this this robot ai shit just isn't like i don't care about this um and so but you know continue to support her work um, of course, make sure you subscribe and listen to Let's Pot It Out, Nando's Genius Entourage <laughs> um, Retrospective Podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. Make sure you become a patron of Count the, Dings, Count the Dings Network, man. This is how we're able to put out this type of content for you guys. If you love what we do, please, if you can, I know it's a pandemic. I know people are struggling for money, but if you can spare it, uh, please become a patron of countedings.com. Make sure you support TMBS as well. Yeah. All the great work that they do. Uh, I want to thank Nando, of course, for being just incredible at what he does. I want to thank the super producer, Rob Lopez, on the oh, ones yeah. and threes, keeping these trains running on time, always working his ass off for us and keeping us in line. And Rob, I promise you we're going to figure out the time zone shit going yeah. forward. <laughs> I promise you we're going to figure Rob. it out. I feel really bad about that, Rob. Um, I really do. Um, and yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Make sure you're listening to Cinephobe, The Mailbag, Pack Your Nines, um, my, um, Naima's uh, Wednesday Service, which I was actually a part of. And, and, and we talked about Sean King and the many scams that he's running and, and just, you know, internet celebrity and all these interesting things. Make sure you listen to all that stuff. We'll see you guys next week. We're out of here.